As Kai said earlier, today is the first Sunday of Advent. It's the beginning of the Christian New Year. And we don't celebrate our New Year with champagne or fireworks. We celebrate by lighting candles and looking forward to the day when Christ will come again. So today we light the, the candle marking hope. So I'm going to do that now. We light this candle in hope, the hope of our coming Savior, Jesus. Prepare then the way of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you that Christ has come and that Christ will come again. We look forward to that day now in hope, in anticipation, longing to see Jesus face to face. Would you please give us hope by the power of your Spirit now that we may look forward to that day and live in the light of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, throughout the Advent season, we're going to be reading portions of Scripture that are traditionally read at this time. This is a time in which we remember Israel's waiting for the Messiah, the Christ. The church calendar is a, is a means for us to, to enter into the Christian story in a, in a practical, tangible way. And in this season, we recognize not only that Christ came 2,000 years ago, but that he will come again one day. We light this hope candle on the first Sunday of Advent to remember that, that hope is the focus of the whole season. Today's passage in Isaiah provides us with a prayer of hope. It's a prayer of hope. It's not a, a generic hope, the sort of, find that you, sort of hope you would find in a, a Hallmark card or on a poster with an inspiring quote underneath a black and white photograph. No, this is a, a desperate hope. It's a hope that, that's come to the end of human capacity and throws itself completely on the mercy of God. It's a hope that gets at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. Now, when we open the Bible, Christians believe that God himself speaks to us. If we want to learn who God is and how to relate to him, we go to the scriptures. Many of us feel a little bit shy when it comes to prayer, and that's what Isaiah 64 is. It's a prayer. We don't feel confident. We don't know how to do it very well. We don't want to do it in front of other people. But as Christians, we believe that, that scripture gives us everything we need for life with God, including instructions on in how to pray. This passage is a prayer of hope, and it has a lot to teach us about prayer. So let's look into it together. Look again at verse 1 of Isaiah 64 with me. It says there, O oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. Who is it that's speaking here? Well, these words are, are written by the prophet Isaiah a man sent by God to call his people back 
to him. Who's Isaiah speaking to? Well, he's calling on God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord of heaven and earth. Notice in in this first verse that Isaiah isn't making a, a formal request, like God is the head of an enormous cosmic bureaucracy, and the prophet is submitting a form in which he should expect a response between 10 and 14 business days from now. No, in this prayer, the prophet is laying his heart bare before God. Oh, that you would, he says. That first sound isn't a word, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a grunt. Oh, God, that you would. When was the last time that you prayed with sighs, with grunting, with emotion? When was the last time you were really desperate in prayer? What's your prayer life like? Do do you tend to go to God in in a a formal or, or perfunctory manner, as if you were submitting a form at DMV? One thing we learn from this passage is that prayer is an honest conversation between us and God. It's an honest conversation between us and God. If we can't be honest with God, if we can't be honest with ourselves, then you could argue that we're, we're probably not really even praying yet. What is it in this passage that Isaiah wants? Well, he, he asks God to rend the heavens, to, to rip open the sky, to, to create a, a tear in the space-time continuum, the likes of which Marty McFly could never dream. He wants God to come down from heaven to earth. He wants the mountains to shake with God's presence. He goes on in verse 2, saying is when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Why does Isaiah ask God to make himself known to his adversaries in in a show of, of power and awe, of fire and smoke? Well, he asks that because Part of Isaiah's ministry was to predict the downfall of the nation of Judah, the the last part of the nation of Israel that was still standing at that time. He, He prays this because he knows that the nation of Babylon an enormous empire was, was just on the horizon. And, and soon after he, he speaks these words, they would come and, and invade Jerusalem. That they would come and destroy God's temple. They would destroy the one place on earth where heaven and earth came together, where God met with his people. And Isaiah loved his people. He loved his brothers and sisters in Israel. You could say that Isaiah really, truly, honestly gave a damn about his neighbors and his neighborhood. Now, he could have, maybe, peered into his prophetic crystal ball. He he could have seen the writing on the wall and, and gotten ahead of the game, built a bunker somewhere, retreated into a cave, retreated into his nuclear family, or his Netflix queue, or his stock portfolio. 
He could have drowned out the noise of the imminent suffering of those around him, but he didn't do that. Isaiah loved his neighbors. He loved the church. He loved the church because he loved God. And we could honestly say that our love for God is measured in how much we love others. Our love for God is measured in how much we love others. Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Later on, he said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments to love one another. In other words, if we love Christ, we keep his commandments. And his commandment is to love one another as he has loved us. Isaiah, in his prayer, he's obeying this command. He's asking God to come to deliver his people, to to save them from hardship, suffering, invasion, and destruction. To ask yourself this question. How well do you love others? Do you care about your neighbors, really care about them? Do you honestly, before God, do you love your brothers and sisters in the church? Or are the people in your life just furniture, there for you to use and enjoy as you see fit? Is everyone around you a supporting member of the cast in your life movie? Or are you a part of a a much bigger story, a, a better narrative, one that God himself is telling in the grace of his Son and the powerful working of his Holy Spirit? Now, I can honestly say that I am thankful I, I really, I am thankful for the fruit that God has produced and is producing in our church. When, it, when a call was put out earlier uh, in the year, just a, a couple weeks ago, to, to ask for help with the warming shelter beginning in December, we had more than enough people sign up almost immediately. When, when someone has a, a baby or, or has a need in some other way, People come together in our church and love them and show them hospitality through, we give meals, we we help babysit, we do all kinds of different things like that. God has shown many people love and hospitality through our church, and I praise God for that. I pray that we would all grow more in that kind of grace, that more and more of us would participate in inviting others in to receive divine hospitality through us. God welcomes people to himself through us, through the way we love our neighbors. I'm thankful for how he's done that already, and I pray that he would give us more of that as time goes on. And I want to encourage you as we look into this passage that that you would let Isaiah's honest prayer be an example to you. Let his honesty in prayer set the tone for your prayer. I want to encourage you to go to God with sighings, with emotion. Go to God with your whole self 
and ask him to open you to what he wants in your life. That he would open you up to who you really are before him. Now, you may not like what you see in the mirror of God's presence. You might. You might not. If prayer is an honest conversation between us and God, then you should expect that honesty to go both ways and for God to show you things about yourself that aren't too pretty. We'll see more of of that kind of thing as we go further into this passage, but I want to encourage you to be honest and humble before God in prayer because you know in Christ that He cares for you. Now, we live in an area that is obsessed with innovation, right? I mean, disrupting the old ways of doing things is almost uh, virtuous by definition in the Bay Area. We love technology. We love making things work more effectively, more efficiently. We might like making life easier, better, greener. I mean, entrepreneurs in, in Silicon Valley talk regularly about building a better future, about making the world a better place, and so on and so forth. And when you think about that, we can honestly say that we live in a place that is full of hope. We want a better future, and we have hope that we could be a part of building it. Well, in this passage, Isaiah's prayer is full of hope as well. But, but Isaiah's hope is very different from the sort you find in, in the world of technology and entrepreneurialism. Hope in our context looks like looking to ourselves and the kind of future that we can build with our own two hands. But Isaiah's hope isn't that sort. Isaiah's is a Christian hope. And Christian hope is not ultimately rooted in our actions or our abilities. No, real hope, Christian hope, is rooted in God's character. Real hope is rooted in God's character. Isaiah asks God to tear open heaven and come down to earth. He asks that not because he's he's innovative in his prayer life, He asks that because it's something that God has done already in Israel's history. This is the kind of God that God is. He he does this sort of thing. Listen to what Isaiah prays in verses 3 and 4. He says, God, when you did awesome things that we didn't look for, we didn't even know you were going to do this, but you did it. You came down. The mountains quaked at your presence when you came down at Mount Sinai and gave us the Ten Commandments. From of old... No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. In his prayer, Isaiah admits, tells honestly that God is the kind of God who acts for those who wait for them. That's the kind of God that he is. God's people in the Old Testament were waiting for him. They were waiting for him to intervene, to come down, to to save them from their enemies. And Isaiah, in this prayer, was praying for God's advent. 
He was praying for God's advent. Advent means coming. And Isaiah wanted God to come more than he wanted anything else in the world. In Advent, we enter this season of waiting. God answered Isaiah's prayer all those years ago, though it wasn't in the way that he expected. God's coming in answer to Isaiah's prayer didn't look like parting the Red Sea or descending in, a, in cloud and fire at Mount Sinai. The answer to Isaiah's prayer to rip open heaven and come down came in a, a teenage peasant girl giving birth to a baby boy among animals in a stable. Do you know what honesty with God and with yourself produces? Honesty with God and with yourself in prayer produces real hope. In this prayer, Isaiah is not confident in himself. He didn't pray this prayer based on anything that he had done. It wasn't his righteousness that made him worthy of being heard. He didn't go to God and say, you owe me. I've served you my whole life. I've sacrificed for you. I've earned your help. You better listen. We often want our relationship with God to work that way, don't we? But Christian hope, real hope, recognizes my failure and relinquishes control. Real hope recognizes my failure and relinquishes control control. See, Isaiah lived in a time of political and social unrest, a time of war and impending famine and destruction. He, he literally could not hope in his circumstances. There was nothing about his life around him that he could say, yeah, I could can, I can hang my hat on that. I mean, the year that, that Isaiah was writing, or the, the coming years, that year was worse than a hundred 2020s. When Babylon invaded Jerusalem, the famine inside Jerusalem before the full invasion, during the siege of the city, the famine inside Jerusalem got so bad that people resorted to cannibalism. Mothers even ate their own babies. There was nothing in Isaiah's life that he could look around him at and put his hope in. He knew it was all going down. And so, with that in mind, Isaiah takes an honest look at himself in verse 6. He says to God, We've all become like one who is unclean. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Isaiah looked at himself before the holy, holy, holy God, the God of perfect goodness, of infinite glory, the God who is love. And this is the conclusion that he came to about himself and about his people. 
He said, my best thoughts, my best intentions, my best actions, my righteousness is like a polluted garment. Now, polluted garment is a very polite way of translating the words in this verse. Isaiah is a prophet. He's looking for the most evocative, disgusting language he could possibly find. Polluted garment translates essentially that his righteous deeds, Isaiah is saying, are like a used tampon. Now, if a prophet, a man chosen by God, a preacher, somebody who is called to write one of the most important books in all of the Bible, says that his best works are like a used tampon in cleanliness before God, knowing that God is glorious in his holiness. Maybe, maybe you and I, when faced with that reality, maybe we should be a little bit less confident. Maybe we should let Isaiah's spiritual honesty influence the way we look at ourselves. Counterintuitively, this is the key to real hope. To have real hope in God, I have to recognize the extent of my own failure to be who he wants me to be. Now, it sounds hopeless to be that honest. You might hear that and think, like, I can't really look under the rock of my own heart. Many of us spend a lot of time and energy avoiding really seeing ourselves as, as God sees us. But when we recognize our failure, we relinquish control to God. When we recognize how, how, how bad we are, we let go. And that relinquishing of control of myself, of my desires, of my future, that's where real hope lies. Verse 8 of Isaiah 64 says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. See, clay doesn't have opinions about what the potter does with it. It isn't convinced of its own specialness. It doesn't try and convince the potter that it's really destined for greatness, that it deserves more than what it has right now, that it should be in different circumstances. Oh, clay doesn't do anything but give up. It relinquishes control. It lays down, completely given over to the will of the one who's shaping it. And that's where real hope lies. Real hope, rooted in God's gracious character, lies in relinquishing control to Him. So ask yourself today, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a vaccine? Are you waiting for an end to lockdown? 
Are you waiting for President Trump to concede the election? Are you waiting for 2020 to finally be over? I want to encourage you today to set your, high, your sights higher than that. Set your sights higher than that. God offers so much more to you. He doesn't offer the, the false hope of circumstantial change. No, he offers the real hope of his grace, the real hope of recognizing your failures and relinquishing control to him. He offers the real hope that when you, became, you become clay in his almighty hands, that he will shape and mold you until one day you become the image of the glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Will you please pray with me? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and anyone who's watching today. I pray that we would be able to pray with Isaiah. Father, you are the potter and we are the clay. Help us, Lord, to recognize our own failures and to relinquish control to you. Because, God, you are good. God, you are trustworthy. God, you are holy. And God, you are love. Thank you for showing your infinite love to us in Christ. And may we put our hope in him. Not in ourselves, not in circumstances, but in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.